Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 149, I think. I always, I, I gotta start looking at that before I record. I apologize, everybody. Um, so, real quick, uh, thanks to Robert Hornack for being on the show last week and talking for almost two and a half hours about his 10 favorite movies of all time. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you haven't listened to it, please do. There's some good recommendations in there and just some general good movie talk as well. So, um, Merry Christmas, everybody. This You may notice that this episode has gone up uh, a couple of days before it usually does, and that is because... Uh, you know, if you if you are looking for a movie to see on, uh, you know, around the Christmas season, uh, but before Christmas, I wanted uh, I wanted the stuff we talk about today to uh, to maybe entice you to the movie theaters or to to YouTube where I watch the companion film, um, and you still have time to do that before the actual holiday. So, uh, our ho- our co host today is Reed Lackey. He's back. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, actually. I feel like you haven't been here in a while. When was the last time you were here? Well, the last time we talked about Jacob's Ladder, which what's funny. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it probably feels longer to us than it does to listeners. That's right. We recorded that. Because we recorded it early November, but it posted mid-November, I believe. So yes, that's true. Okay. But here it is end of December. That's almost two months. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, People got to get their their read fix. (laughs) You know, mostly I do, you know, that's the thing. Well, it's important to engage with yourself. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) sorry, everybody, this, this recording is like the last official thing I have to do before a 10 day holiday break. So I'm excited and punchy and I don't really care anymore. (laughs) So, uh, so listen in everyone. Welcome to the episode. Uh, but there have been some developments in the life of Reed Lackey, uh, yes. since you were last here, and I want to tell the the readers about it, so and, and the listeners about it, so that they can uh, take full advantage of it. So what's what's going on? Where you know, look, we all know you can come to more than one lesson and get your fill of Reed Lackey. So we, that was the case for a while, not anymore. What's going on now, Reed? Well, now there's a there's at least another place. There's at least one more place that you could go uh, to get your fill of all of my very you know long articles and thoughts, and that's just simply readlackey.com. All right, um, launched it the uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving. I uh, actually launched it on Black Friday, oh. which felt oddly appropriate to me, but I don't know why. Um, but uh, so anyway, the the website is uh, just a simple place for s- some of my thoughts that extend beyond just what you would see. Uh, in the realm of film, mm-hmm. um, I do some writing specifically about just stories from the Bible, my thoughts on spiritual issues. And then there's also, this is the thing that I'm uh, most excited about, is there's short pieces of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep every every piece of fiction that I post to the website uh, under 2,000 words, which takes less than 15 minutes to read. So the te- one of the taglines on the website is just, it's fiction you can finish on a coffee break. And that's true of the articles as well, whether or not they're fiction. So it's just a place where you can come and, and see some more of my thoughts uh, that extend beyond what we talk about here absolutely now my suggestion for the website was to be called reads reads now that was mostly a joking (laughs) suggestion where it's read apostrophe s so a a possessive but then reads r-e-a 
D-S. So Reed's Reed's. See, get it? Isn't that funny, everybody? But Reed did not listen to me. Admittedly, I did make the suggestion about three minutes ago, uh, and he hasn't changed the website in that time. So uh, it could still happen. But instead, what what do you have? Stay tuned. The uh, website is officially called Read and Writing. There you go. So it's not far off. My <laughs> thing was a joke. Yours, oddly enough, is not. <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, it's it's equally punny and yet. Uh, and yet Much you're sincere serious. about it. Yeah, yeah. Huh, interesting. I hear it when I say it out loud. So, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, um, yeah, listeners, I would, I would uh, highly suggest if you enjoy reading the stuff that he uh, has written for more than one lesson. Uh, most recently, there are articles about uh, the film Creed, yeah. uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> which. Uh, I'll talk more about later on in the episode, but, um, but yeah, it's a film that I absolutely love. So those are available at more than one lesson.com. And if you do enjoy the stuff that Reed, uh, has written, check out readlackey.com. I will, uh, post a link to it in the show notes for this episode. And what is this episode about? That's a good question, Tyler. Um, so, okay. (laughs) When I went to go see a film called Krampus, a few weeks ago, I thought it was going to be a goofy, silly, fun time. Surely, surely, if any film was safe in not being more than one lesson fodder, <laughs> it was Krampus, starring, among others, David Koechner. Like, oh, it just yeah. it's it just didn't seem like that type of movie. But, and so my, and my expectations were low. I wasn't expecting it to be, I, I was expecting it to be, like, self-aware, a little bit meta at times, probably a little, and and more than a little silly. I mean, I certainly expected to be a horror comedy and maybe even more, way more emphasis on the comedy. Hmm. Um, And I wasn't wrong necessarily, but the film was very effective in a lot of ways for me. Uh, Emotionally, I found myself caring a lot about these characters. I have a great deal to say about the technical proficiency of the filmmaking, mm. but then also thematically, I, much to my surprise, I came away from this film that, you know, yes, it is about Christmas, and but it's also very much focusing on the dark part of Christmas or, or you know, something that really doesn't have a lot to directly do uh, with Christmas. And so... And yet somehow at the end of it, the person that I went to see the film with and I, we were talking about the film and we both agreed that we were actually surprisingly in the Christmas spirit at the end of it (laughs) and that we were excited to like buy presents for people and hang out with our friends and family and just, and enjoy ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that is a weird thing to come away away with from this movie that I'm going to go ahead and say spoilers. I'm not going to go into specifics. does not have the happiest of endings. Right. right. Um, and we will go deeper into that. So I will go ahead and say that this is just a, a, a spoilery episode. Mm. Um, but I will remind everybody before we get f- further into it, um, before we like really delve into spoilers, I'll remind you that that's what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, so I came away from the film really enjoying it. It's not, it's nowhere near my top 10 of the year or anything mm. like that, but it's just, you know, that happens to me sometimes is I'll go to see a movie partially because I've got nothing really else to do and my expectations are tempered at best. And then I come away having had a really 
for me, a really fun time at the movies and Krampus is, it was absolutely that. And I can, and it also, in the way it was made in the tone that it was striking, it reminded me of a lot of uh, a number of other movies that I watched when I was younger. Mm. And I feel like that's probably on purpose, but we'll dig more into that in a moment. So that was my reaction. Now I know that you're not quite as favorable <laughs> on it as I am. Uh, what did you hate so much about this film? <laughs> I well, first of all, I'd like to point out that, that I love now that anything below like, you know, my five star rave, Oh my goodness, everybody needs to see this movie. You think I hate it. It's uh it's wonderful. Uh, well, I am an internet personality and it's all oh, or nothing on the internet. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, you're either with us or against us. So, the, um, but no, like I, there was a lot that I really enjoyed about the film. And I, I have to say that consistently while I was watching it, I was never bored. I was never disengaged. I was entertained the whole way through. I really just enjoyed the heck out of this film. Mm -hmm. But um, as I walked out, I, I had this odd thought as I was walking back to my car, which was just basically, I didn't love this movie but this is the kind of movie that I do love. Yeah. I loved what it was exploring thematically. I love uh, anything that has sort of a macabre sensibility, but still injects a great deal of humor mm -hmm. into what they're doing. Um, I, I loved the surprising amount of sentiment that's yeah. in the film that was that I wasn't expecting at all. Um, so there were a lot of things about it that I really enjoyed. And I think for me, um, it mostly just didn't gel in the way that I was, I don't know if it was an expectation thing, which mm -hmm. would have been exclusively my fault and time will correct that. Or if there's something that I'll later be able to put my finger more on, uh, no, this is what I, uh, this is what I really have an issue with. I, I've said to my, to my friends before, um, and I said this specifically when I was talking to my friends about uh, the good dinosaur, which I really did not care for. Right. Um, the, uh, I said, if I can in the car ride on the way home, think of, you know, four or five stronger choices that you could have made, yeah. then you didn't develop your story enough. Now, even though something didn't quite gel for me for Krampus, I can't think of stronger choices that they could have made. So I feel like some of it might be my fault. And I'm, I'm saying that honestly, where it's like, this, this is, is something a, not right. That reminds me of a thing that I said many years ago. And it's my friend and I went to see Freddy versus Jason. Now you, I, you're a fan of that film. I'm correct? a very big fan okay. of that film. I love that movie. And what I, and walking out of that movie, you know, I, I went in certainly expecting a ridiculous, stupid, incredibly violent movie and being perfectly okay with that, you know, I knew what I was, what I expected. I came away, I came out of it having had a lot of fun, being mm -hmm. very engaged. And I was, and a friend said, said, well, what did you think? And I said, I was, thought it was pretty good. Huh, that surprises me. That doesn't seem like your kind of movie. And I said, well, let me say, oh no. He said, I didn't think you would think that was a good movie. Hmm. And I said, well, let me put it this way. Orson Welles could have been hired to direct a movie about Freddy fighting Jason and it would have turned out exactly the same as this. <laughs> there is only so good this film's going to be. Right, right. And if you're going to make a movie about Krampus, which by the way is a, is a is a a character, a myth uh that has been coming more into the popular mm -hmm. into pop culture in the last few years. Like there have been uh made for DVD cheap horror movies yeah. featuring Krampus and and that sort of thing. So, um if you're going to make a movie about Krampus that also has a, a slight sense of humor to it and you're going to rate it PG-13, this is probably about as 
good as it can be. And I don't say that with, with that. A, I don't say that with resignation. Right. I say that that is to the film's credit mm-hmm. that they wring everything out of the premise and the tone that they're trying to strike as they can. Yeah. Um, or as is possible. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, the thing that I will say, and I'm in, incl- when you said that this is the type of movie you would like. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking in a similar way. You and I are uh, a similar age. Yeah. And we were raised with, and, and I'm not the first person to say this. They, they went in depth about this on red letter media. Other, uh, critics have said this. We were raised with the PG 13 horror movie. Yeah. We were raised with gremlins. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gremlins (laughs) is to me tonally, about it this is very close to gremlin i agree yeah. where yes there's quote-unquote scary stuff happening mm-hmm. but i'm not scared i'm invested and it's like oh i hope something doesn't happen to this person but i'm not like on the edge of my seat or anything right, like that right um and it's humorous and it's uh, kind of self-aware but then there's also a fair amount of sentiment mm-hmm. but then in you know in the 80s you also had you know the critters movies you yeah. had tremors you had and there's even there's some tremors in here as well, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so that more than anything, and just referencing that tonally is not enough for me to like a movie, but you can tell that the filmmakers themselves probably thought back on that time, maybe yeah. when horror or whatever wasn't quite so mean-spirited, though there was plenty of mean-spirited horror in the 80s. Yeah. Um, but back when it could be fun and not everything was just a hard R for gore that you right. could have this, you could do, you could make a movie in a, you could make this movie in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were trying to do that and I think they achieved it. And I appreciate that personally. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We're, you're a horror guy. So I assume you watched all those movies, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially in the eighties. I mean, eighties was the late seventies, early eighties, I think is the best time horror films have ever had. Hmm. And, and then as the eighties progressed, I think uh, I don't want to repeat anything you said because I agree with all of it. But yeah, just just taking it to that level of there was a lot of humor injected into the films, and I like your choice of words with mean spirited because I do think that when you got to the era of Hostel and Saw, which I've said before is not an era that I care for, yeah, um, that when you got into that era with horror films then they did get mean spirited they got very um they got very nasty both i think to their characters and to their audience members and there's a great deal of very effective horror films that i don't think are necessarily mean spirited yeah um and i don't think krampus is mean spirited i i don't think it is yeah Um, i don't think so and but but it does uh you know like i thought a lot about gremlins another one that i thought of oddly enough uh um, might be more related to the end, so it, it, okay. we'll see. But uh, it reminded me a lot of Jeepers Creepers of all things. Sure, oh um, yeah, and the, that ending certainly. Yeah. Um. So there's so you know there's a lot of things that it kept sending me back to. Like I like this kind of thing. I enjoy this. Yeah. Um. And like I said, I was entertained the whole time. There was yeah. never a moment when I was bored or where I checked out. Um. I I was a little surprised that I never had to like cover my eyes. I never had to like duck down or anything. I was just always like, no, this, this is kind of fun. This is more like a felt more maybe by intention, like a creature feature than it did like an attempt to unnerve or unsettle me. Yeah. And 
I will say that, yeah, I, I, ex- I expected it to be maybe a bit more mean-spirited than it was. I expected mm. there to be some cynicism. And the, and so we'll get into uh, – off mic, we were talking about the film, and we came uh, to a disagreement, though we, oh, didn't, yeah. we did not detail it much. Um, the setup of the film is – very solid. Uh, absolutely. Um, you get a really strong sense of who these characters are to such a degree that I myself was a little bit bothered. Hmm. I was, you know, I looked at specifically like the David Keckner character, uh, his wife played by uh, Allison Tolman, I believe, the Aunt Dorothy character, that just these caricatures of yeah. people coming in. Right. And, you know, you have them making, you know, talking about, uh, Democrats and and they they kind of have this this chip on their shoulder about you know uh, like rich people yeah and so they just look like this really kind of this ugly idea of like an American you know and that sort of thing um, I mean and then our our lead family Adam Scott Tony Clett are kind of yuppies who are you know so just I really thought like, okay, I, I, I think I see what they're doing. They're, they're making these characters pretty grotesque so that when they all die, uh, I won't be sad for them. <laughs> right. Uh, that's what I was expecting. And that's, and once they were giving it to me, I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's, it's giving me what I expected, but I'm not super thrilled about that. I, I wanted it to be maybe more. And then for me, it became more. I think mm-hmm. you have these characters uh, evolve when the chips are down and you see what they do care about, which is each other. Hmm. Like they may, they may butt heads and all that sort of thing. But, you know, to me, like the David Koechner character, I'm a huge fan of Dave Koechner as an actor, as yeah. a comic actor. I think he's able to do tremendous things. I don't know if you ever saw them film cheap thrills. It's also on my list, but he's marvelous in it. Um, and I think his character is probably the one who not even necessarily that there's, an arc there. Everybody has an arc, but his, where you see that he is this gun nut type of guy who's just big and blustery and all that sort of thing. But then you see that he does genuinely care about his family, that when something bad happens, he does, he blames himself. Mm. He's not oblivious to the world around him. He's he's not a selfish or self-centered person. Um, He's just, I don't know. He's, he's a flawed person who is, who's big and obnoxious and that sort of thing, but that doesn't mean he's irredeemable and it doesn't mean that he deserves what's coming to him, whatever that might mean. Mm. Um, and that's something I came to appreciate so that when things start to happen to these characters, I, I find myself caring about it and that is not what I expected. And that's not really what the movie set up early on. I don't view that as a flaw in the film. Uh, because when, if we have a main character based on the beginning, it is this character, Max Mm -hmm. played by MJ Anthony and Max has a very clear idea of what his family is, which is caricature, grotesque. I hate them. But then the, the, the more in depth he starts to see them, the more in depth we start to see them. And so we go along with his view of the world and, uh, and so it worked for me quite a bit, that hmm. aspect of it, but you have a different take on the character. I did. Yeah. Cause for me, um, well, first of all, I should say, I, I agree with your assessment, um, everything up to, and this is a big spoiler, but everything up to the, the reading of the letter, mm-hmm. 
I completely agree with you. Uh, it reminded me almost like, are you trying to do some sort of bizarro Christmas vacation where Cousin Eddie's family shows up? It does up? sort of seem like that. Uh, yes. And that, that was immediately a throwback that I had once Dave Keckner's family arrives. Um, and it is, you know, Ann Dorothy's like, oh, yeah, she's the belligerent drunk and, you yeah. know, all this other sort of stuff. So um, none of that really felt genuine to me. Mm-hmm. But when they begin to read his letter, uh, yeah. they begin to read Max's letter to Santa, who I got the impression that that memory is not being very kind to me. I got the impression that Max still actually believes in Santa. That's the vibe I got, yes. So, uh, but, but there was also a little bit thrown in there where it's like, he, he, you know, I'm not sure if he was just sort of playing along with it or just wasn't willing to let go. An argument could be made that he is in the transition from one to the other. Okay. It's a thing yeah. he wants to believe, but is getting to the point like, eh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm into this anymore. Yeah. So, but he does still write letters to Santa mm-hmm. and has written a letter that is read aloud at the table. And so when I'm, when I'm hearing that letter being read and I'm hearing things like, I wish I could spend more time with my sister and yeah. uh, I'm going to, I'm about to spoil half this letter. So yeah. just warning, but it's like, I'm, you know, I wish I could spend more time with my sister. I wish my mom and dad would, would uh, fall in love again, yeah. you know, and then, uh, and then, you know, help uh, uncle, uh, Oh shoot, Howard. Uh, Uncle Howard and Aunt Linda help you know give them some help this yeah. time around you know, and so like what he's saying, I'm sitting here grasping like oh okay so again going back to some of what I love about horror films is and this is something that Stephen King consistently in his books does exceptionally is he takes broken people throws them into monstrous situations and then they have to confront to a certain degree, their own brokenness yeah. in the midst of this horrific situation. And I thought that's what I was headed towards. Now, at least two of the the wishes from Max come to no fruition. Right. And so I think part of my disconnect a bit, again, I'll put the onus on me for expectation. I hear that letter, and I think you're going to explore that with the characters. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about it a little bit later, but I definitely think – uh, there's some exploration done between uh, Tom and Sarah, between uh, you know Adam Scott's character and Tony Collette's character. Absolutely. That definitely goes places, intentional places. Yeah. But I feel like the other things that he sort of wished for drift off into the sidelines and don't become part of the maintaining story. Now, that's not to say specifically that the characters don't have arcs, mm-hmm. but I didn't find them on the same trajectory that the letter seemed to be pointing them towards. And maybe that's part of why I didn't feel like it was fully formed. And that's interesting. Uh, the The letter, as far as the specifics within it, I saw that as, uh, you know, certainly humanizing Max. Not that he was inhuman before that. Like, he's sure. clearly a sympathetic character. But um, just that uh, seeing the family through his eyes, it's like, okay, so... Uh, mom and dad aren't in love, not hanging out with his sister very much. His aunt and uncle need financial support and that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of uh, framing how we should view the family in a sympathetic light if we can. Mm. Um, and then there's the the fact that he rips up the letter at a time right. when you don't think he's going to. Like yeah. His, his, He's left the table. Um, his dad goes to comfort him, and there's a really nice, tender, warm interaction between the two. And then his yeah. dad leaves, and then he rips up the letter. And that, the act of that, you mm-hmm. know, that 
it's not merely that, oh, he's lost his hope, is that think of what that letter was. It wasn't simply, I want these material things. It's, right. I want good things for people. But his lack of hope, now he doesn't want good things for people. Like the symbolism of that, mm-hmm. to me, it's it's deeper than I don't believe in Santa anymore or I don't believe in Christmas anymore. It's, I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna have to get mine while yeah. I can, mm-hmm. where I can, because these people are only going to hurt me. So you know what? Screw them. Yeah. And there's a, a, a real darkness there. And I think, th- I think what the letter contains and then what he does with it uh, is what causes Krampus to come, which yeah. is like, all right, you, you don't care about these people. Fine. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. I'll take care of that for you. Yeah. Wish grant mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's I, I can see what you're I can see what you what you mean. And it's interesting. Your your um I feel like your your issue, not to be reductive, and I don't even think this is a bad thing, I think your issue comes from somebody who is a who's a writer. Mm, which is yeah. like, why would you have all these things in letter if, right. unless you're it's it's such an it's such a great device for foreshadowing. Right. Like, right. Why right. why why are you not capitalizing on every single a- aspect right. of this? If you show a gun in the first act, it better go off in the third right. act. <laughs> like, right. Period. Yeah. Um, and you know, and when you think about some of the stuff like, Oh, I want to spend more time with my sister. Well, his sister's the first one gone. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is, fa- you know, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And not going to happen at all. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's done. Uh, and then, but, I, but I do like the, that, uh, that the family grows closer together. Uh, even the, the aunt, who is an unpleasant person that nobody likes her to have around. Even she shows a certain degree of, of tenderness mm. uh, and protection for the children and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And so, um, so I like the development of the characters and even though it's not as fun to have them turn from caricatures into real people, it's like, Oh man, I was, I was all ready for these people to be butchered, you know? <laughs> right, right, uh, right. And now it's like, whoa, no, I don't want this. I don't want any of these people to die. Yeah. Um, and that is not, and I think that speaks to a certain degree of, of maturity um, on the part of the filmmakers because it would have been so easy to just have this be mean-spirited, cynical, R-rated, let's set the, you know, set the pins up and knock them down. Uh, and it doesn't do that. It wants, yeah. it, it wants to do something deeper while still engaging in the fun whether mm-hmm. it be like the the scary elements or the humor elements mm-hmm. and so now from a from a filmmaking standpoint that i think i mean we'll get to the the, the themes explored in a moment but from a filmmaking standpoint i think this is where krampus really uh, ex, uh excels because as is the case with horror movies and with a lot of Christmas movies, mm. art direction, sound design, character design, cinematography, like engaging in these very ornate, sometimes gothic images, so uh, and 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 uh, icons, so often used for positive effect mm. in the during the Christmas season. You turn them on their head, and it's all a little frightening you know yeah. it's like a it's like an old uh, universal horror movie in a way mm. uh if you take if you look at these images whether they be candles oh candles hey you know mm. around christmas time let's light a candle be wonderful right but it can also be like that flickering light and it's like well there's a lot of shadows now oh yeah you know? and i feel like it, it uses uh christmas imagery to full effect for uh 
for scares. And again, I'm not scared while I'm watching it. I'm a little, I'm invested. I'm a little tense, Yeah, but that's not the same as, as a straight up horror movie, you know? Right. There was um, no worry of nightmares. Not at, all. Not, uh, at all. not at all with this. And I would also extend your point from the visuals to the sound. I remember thinking mm-hmm. it is amazing how creepy Christmas songs are when they're played in this context or in that key, you know, like <laughs> there's some frightening renditions of silent night. <laughs> there's, <laughs> There is a wonderful, and this speaks to the, the gothic thing that I was talking about. There's a wonderful uh, bit by comedian Matt Bronger about Christmas, and it's this joyous time at a, at the you know it's this joyous season at a time when it's dark and freezing, <laughs> and he goes he goes and just listen to these songs, and they're just like and and, uh, and just like he sings through some of them, and you realize like yeah, I guess when you frame them as frightening and like you just see these hooded figures like looming large over you and it's like celebrate christmas (laughs) you know and so uh it's a it's a wonderful bit check it out um but yeah yeah and the and little you know certain choices like um krampus having a chain which is actually a tenant of the the myth that he has this Mm. chain and so you hear every link Mm -hmm. hit together you know stuff like that and you hear his his hooves on the roof um and and because it is dark you know sound and 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 these characters straining to hear what they can't see yeah uh every sound is vital Mm -hmm. and so yeah the sound design is is wonderful um and just and i think it's shot really really well it's if they had decided that this was going to be actually scary Mm -hmm. all the elements are there certainly oh yeah um but uh, let's see. And then certain choices, and I don't know enough about the Krampus legend to know if this is a, a part of, of the legend, that um, that it's not merely Krampus. Right. It is also his, uh, his little uh, demon minions. Oh, my goodness. And, and that's when it often feels a lot like gremlins, when you have these yeah. little things scampering around. Oh, yeah. Those um, gingerbread men? Yeah. Goodness sakes. Though, to me, if there's any genuinely frightening imagery aside from Krampus himself. The design of Krampus is marvelous and actually scary. Mm -hmm. That Jack in the box. Oh my, that monstrous snake like Jack in the box with the, I would say HP Lovecraft mouth. Yeah. Uh, was really like a puzzle box. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's Oh man, it's awful. It's really terrifying. It really is. And it's so funny too because it starts off so small. Yeah. And then at one point in the movie, it is no longer small. Yeah. <laughs> and oh man, I rem- I just remember that that specific image because the jack in the box gets a victim yeah. and and all you see is it tilting its head back and the feet like going down oh. that tube. Oh, it's very effective. It's a very frightening creation. I am very much, uh, bo- I mean, it doesn't keep me from movie- loving movies like Jaws and Tremors mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. There is something to me about, and listeners know this, we've talked about it, I'm sure, on Halloween Times episodes, no. that there's something so unnerving for me about uh, a character in a movie being consumed, oh, being man. like, and often, and especially if they're eaten whole, mm. you know, and you just see their, f- like, and you, you, see their feet just sliding in and it's the last 
bit of them mm-hmm. and then it's all and then it's over yep. you know Done. and it's it could be in tremors mm-hmm. it could be in uh anaconda uh whatever right. it is it, it tends to be a snake-like creature that, no. that can swallow you whole it could be in return um, of the jedi it could which part oh uh, yeah exactly uh, well yeah there's the uh, i'm thinking specifically of the fate of uh spoiler alert for return of the jedi but the fate of boba fett yeah you know like oh and, uh, and dozens of oh and, that was yeah, a and all of the expendable people that just fly yeah. down into the middle oh, that of was thing. a that was a banquet for the sarlacc pit that day <laughs> to, to uh, be digested for a thousand years like oh but the other thing that gets me is in return of the jedi when the rancor goes after the gamorian guard that fell in the pit with oh, Luke. Oh yes, and yes. The, and the way he picks him up, and the way in which he takes a bite of him. Yeah, it's Ugh. literally it's like he's just eating an apple. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's weird to think of a of a human body. Not that the Gamorrean is, is guard is a human, but still looks it's humanoid. Yeah, and to think of a body just being balled up and just eaten like an apple because who cares right um it, it might as well be to this thing. It's very unnerving for me, and yeah. so that scene of this jack-in-the-box with a horrifying mouth just swallowing a child yeah and then you see the child's little kicking feet Ugh. be consumed it's pretty tough you know yeah. mm-hmm. this is this is a film that while not necessarily scary is disturbing and is it's it's almost like it's like horror adjacent um mm. if such a thing is possible you know and so uh so the design of those creatures are great and and i will i will now talk about the design of krampus himself where you know, he's got the hooves, he's got mm-hmm. the horn, he's got the horns, he's got these long robes, he's got the chain. And then, maybe the, a stroke of genius, his face. Yeah. Which you don't actually see. No. He's, he's wearing, wearing a basically a mask. Mm-hmm. And the mask looks like Santa Claus. Yeah. It's a big white beard, but it looks like Santa Claus if he doesn't have any actual eyeballs and is screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... And you and that that mask is the only face of Krampus you ever see, right? Um, and the fact that it's Santa Claus speaks volumes about like Krampus is just a mockery of what Santa is, right? Um, but then also uh, that you don't see it for for so long, and like you 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 just keep waiting for like oh I can't wait to see what Krampus looks like when we actually get to see you know his his big gruesome horrible maybe bull like mouth i don't know what it is uh but you never get that satisfaction but it's Mm. it's so much scarier you know yeah it's that prince it's the mike myers principle you know michael myers pardon me right right Um, right 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 he's scarier with the mask on yeah you don't see his eyes and you don't need to and that's Mm. particularly creepy yeah and so so yeah and and just the way that he just stands up and just descends but also it's also creepy to see him just looming on the roof of a house far away yeah um it just seems so unnatural as as the character's walking along and just sees that um there is there's so much from a design standpoint from a visual standpoint to enjoy Mm -hmm. about this film which leads me to a question for you as a horror fan Mm -hmm. have you seen trick-or-treat Oh yes, I, I I adore Trick or Treat. Okay, I same it director. Lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have not seen it. I had heard good things. I know horror fans are really enjoy it. I yeah, I adore it. I think and, it's great. And this movie made suddenly made it was like oh, I uh, 
trick or treat is a priority for me now. Oh yeah. Um, what is without going into too much detail because we don't have the time, but um, oh, yeah. what is trick or treat about? I don't even know. Trick or treat's an anthology film. Oh okay. So tr- so I didn't tr- know that. Yeah, trick or treat is an anthology film of uh, loosely connected. Well, here's, here's what's funny. Um, most anthology films are are loosely connected by a framing device. This one has a framing character. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily have a framing device. And the stories themselves, I would argue that the term loosely might be inappropriate. Okay. That, they, that they are in some way connected. Okay. Um, so you have, I forget if it's three or four, because um, the last time I watched it was last Halloween, not this past okay. one. Um, so, But I forget if it's three or four. Um, three are coming to mind. So that either means there's three great ones and I kind of meh or that there's only three. Uh, stories which are portrayed and as with all anthology films, the stories are compartmentalized and then you move on to the next one through mm-hmm. the through the thread. Um, but it's it's fun. It has that same infusion of humor. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is definitely more... Um, sinister in in yeah. its devices and in the stories that it that it tells there's almost no sentiment in trick or treat which is okay. why the sentiment in Krampus surprised me yeah um but uh that's not to say that it you know that it doesn't have a heart but it uh but it's not directly interested in making you care about the characters and what happened to them. Right. Um, but yeah, a, it, was, and it's, it was a classic. It's a horror movie. It's a straight yeah. up horror movie. Yes. And so you're not used to a lot of sentiment in actual right. horror movies. So. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it was something I was, uh, I had heard, you know, it had a great reputation mm-hmm. and it just was not a priority for me. And it very much is now. And part of me was like, Oh, maybe I'll wait until Halloween. I'm not going to wait till Halloween. No, I should, no, I'm no, going to watch it, it sooner yeah, than that. It. It's um, fun. So, uh, I would like this episode to be somewhat short. Okay. So, uh, so we can, we can move on to talk about some of the, th- the themes of Krampus. Uh, one thing that is said over and over again in the film is you have people talking about what Christmas is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the, a word that comes up over and over again is sacrifice. It is about sacrificing for other people and that sort of thing. Um, and the film winds up being that, mm-hmm. you know, um, to a certain extent, where the character of Max, um, who is definitely the lead for the f- in the first act, and then it becomes much more part of an ensemble and, and yeah. just kind of, I wouldn't say he gets lost in the shuffle, but it's just, he's he's more of an observer. Uh, yeah. And then that last act comes along, and now he's he's back to the lead. Yeah, it's his story again. Um, and he talks about what he what he wishes Christmas was. He just wants it to be like it used to be. Um, and he just watches as one by one these family members go down one way or another. Yeah. And and then he himself is seeks out Krampus and uh, is going to confront him, and he finds Krampus. At the at the mouth of a uh, swirling pit to hell or something like I that. I have no idea what those people were doing, but I yeah. do not want to know. Yeah, <laughs> like was, his whole all of Krampus's minions surrounded in what seems to be some sort of ritual. Yeah, and and yes, this the earth is opening up to yeah. to accept whatever they're like. Oh, it's a terribly disturbing scene. Yeah, 
And he shows up just as one of his cousins is being like dangled over this pit. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's, and he is begging Krampus, please don't, you know, uh, don't drop her. And then he says, take me. Yeah. Take me instead. Take me Restore instead. Restore them and take yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and it's a very passionate moment. Uh, I, I like the actor who plays Max. I think mm-hmm. he does a really great job. Um, and that scene is very meaningful. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who previously hated his family. And then over the course of this adventure, doesn't seem like the right word, <laughs> this uh, traumatic event. Yeah. Um, realizes that no i do genuinely care about these people and one could say maybe even about people in general and i realized what christmas was supposed to be uh and that and part of you know part of growing up is recognizing that your family is not perfect but trying to accept them and love them no matter what Mm -hmm. and so he gets to that point and then old krampus (laughs) Uh, is not having it. No. Down goes his cousin. So he drops, the cousin gets dropped into the uh, the pit of lava no. or whatever. Uh, and then, and I don't completely remember the chain of events, but uh, at some point, uh, they, Krampus takes Max and throws him in his world. Yeah, basically, yeah. And, right after that. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, wow. All right. I guess they're all gone. But then... Uh, you know, fade to white as Max falls into this pit and then fade in and he wakes up from a dream. Mm-hmm. It's Christmas morning. Yeah. You know, what day is today? That kind right, of thing. Right, right. And, and it's, oh my gosh, it was all a dream. And I remember thinking like, eh, kind of a cop out, but that's not the end of the world. Right. You know, he's, it's, it's been, it's certainly, there's precedent for it in Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. About a the lot of it. Film, yeah, so. exactly. Uh, and so he uh, runs downstairs. The families, they're there. They're happy. They're mm-hmm. opening presents. Uh, you know, everybody's welcoming, but they're still very much themselves. And oh, what a wonderful scene. Right. And then he opens a present that, and he doesn't know who got it for him, a, a present for Max. And he opens it up and it's a little, uh, it's a little bell that... I should say this. It was set, it was given to him earlier by Krampus when he was going when Max was going to be left all alone with no family before he went to seek him out specifically. Right. Uh, and so he opens the box and there's that bell again and it says you know uh, I don't remember I don't know what it's what the German is but it it translates to greetings from Krampus. Yeah. And so he looks at it and realizes oh wait maybe it wasn't a dream and everybody else realizes it too and they just look just this horrible face of re- uh, recognition and realization on everybody's face. And then we zoom out and we see that Max and his family and their house is inside a snow globe yeah. in Krampus's horrifying lair amidst many other snow globes. And yeah. that's the end. Yeah. So, and that's Merry definitely, Christmas, uh, Mer- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and that's definitely, I see your, uh, I see your Jeepers Creepers uh, yeah, yeah. reference there. I, I, I thought of that as well. Um, so it ends in a very dark note. Mm-hmm. And a note that I would say, and this is why I want to talk about it on this podcast. You have characters talking about sacrifice. You have a character who says, take me instead. And it is met with nothing. It is met with scorn. It is met with punishment. And there is no hope 
honestly. Yeah. Once he has lost his hope, it stays lost. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. And then he and his family are trapped forever. May, they're trapped together, so maybe that's a plus, but they're still not living their the, oh, the life yeah. they're meant to live. Yeah. And I was looking at that, and I was thinking of just, you know, it got me thinking about what Christmas is. And, you know, we tend to think of Easter as the, the I mean, we, obviously, Christmas is the bigger holiday, but we think of Easter when we think of, like, Jesus sacrifice for us and that sort of thing. Uh, we think of Christmas as, oh, here's the hope of it before everything goes, goes bad. So, right, to, so right. to speak. Yeah. Um, and, but I came away from that remembering that like, no Christmas, th- when you think of the trajectory of, of Jesus life, Christmas is hopeful for us, but it's a death sentence from the minute he shows up. Yeah. yeah. You know, and an argument can be made that death sen- there's a death sentence for all of us the minute we show up. But at the same time, it's it's a, a life of agony, uh, certainly an agonizing death, and then rejection by people, and then it, yeah. and then thankfully a resurrection. And so, you know, it, I look at Krampus, and I've talked about this with other movies as well. I look at Krampus as imagine if Christmas isn't what it, what it actually is, what if it was, if it sure simply was materialistic, Mm. even if it was only about family. Um, if it, what, if there wasn't the hope, if we, if we were stuck in the, the feelings of bitterness and resentment towards other people. And even if we, even if we try to be good, even if we try to make a change, it's too late. We've already, We've made our bed. Now we have to lie in it. Yeah. And Christmas is the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's no, you don't. You don't have to. You know, take me instead. You don't even have to worry about that. Somebody else did. Yeah. And so that was kind of what I came away from in it. And that is why I was excited about Christmas. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, thank God, quite literally. Thank God it's not this. Yeah. Thank yeah. God that Krampus doesn't have the last word. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that Krampus is real. I'm just, yeah. you know, <laughs> in the in the world of the film, thank God his is not the last word. Yeah. So yeah. did you get, you know, I'm sure the minute I tell you, hey, I want to do more than one lesson about this movie, I'm sure once you see it, you're thinking, okay, well, how does this fit into the more than one lesson, uh, you know, creed well i definitely i definitely walked away with the same impression you got about his take take me moment mm-hmm. i mean that's that's a pretty effective uh both from the performance that the actor gives and tonally like that 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 works and i was pretty devastated sincerely i was pretty devastated when the result of that krampus almost gives a giggle yeah like oh okay so you don't want to get let off scot-free no problem well that doesn't mean they are off yeah. the hook it just means you're coming with us now yeah and uh i remember feeling you know somewhat devastated is the wrong word because it, it didn't it didn't jar me to that degree but i remember like oh like the you know he just he's just made this big pronouncement that was a huge deal for him yeah and and it's it's too late the 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 effect of that is not going to be what he he already got one wish he doesn't get a new one and it's too late but uh, it's too late and it's also not enough it's mm, yeah oh you're you're willing to be sacrifice to sacrifice yourself good for you that's not actually enough yeah for your family or for yourself yeah good for you it's a great instinct yeah but. You know, but sorry, it's not going to, you're just one person. Yeah. It's not enough. And that's something that, that could definitely be 
be explored more uh, in conversation about this idea. I think that we suffer, um, all human beings, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we suffer from feeling like we are more strong than we than we really are. And I yeah. think we suffer from thinking, okay, I'll just put it this way. In general, I think that people have a tendency to believe in the goodness of people uh, to their own detriment. Sure. So, uh, so, so what I mean by that is we trust that human beings left to their own devices are going to be good. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, of course, as a, a lot of this is informed by my faith, by my Christianity, that I think, well, no, actually, people are not instinctively, inherently good. Right. There is a goodness within us that that emerges, but it's not sourced from us. Right. It's sourced from somewhere else. And so when we, as Max does in this movie, try to depend upon our own capacity for good, not only good thought, but good action, right. like taking action, that there actually might be situations in which it is not, like you said, it's not enough. It's not up to the task that's ahead of it. Yeah. And I think that's that can be a very jarring thing to try to to try to confront inside yourself. It's like, no, you you actually might need something beyond yourself yeah. to confront what it is that is ahead of you, not simply your own goodness. I can remember, and I really hope that this is not derailing us, but it, it, it's coming up in my thoughts. I can remember thinking when I read what was intended to be a very sincere sentiment about uh, secular humanism. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw it as a meme on Facebook, and it said, "You know, I'm, you know, if I, if you're hungry, I'll give you food. If you are thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. If you, uh, you know, are cold, I'll give you a blanket. I'll give you shelter. You know, things like that." And then it said, "I don't do this because I'm counting on some great reward or fear some punishment. I'm doing it because I'm creating this standard. This is the right thing to do." Yeah. So my immediate response to that idea is, "Well, what happens if you change your mind?" Right. And so, so, you know, I don't want to derail the argument here, but basically the point I'm trying to make by bringing that up and relating it to this is we sometimes can be too, uh, we, we are neg- negligent when it comes to the negative power we have. Sure. And too trusting when we try to think about the positive power we have. Because he, he ripped up the letter yeah. and brought Krampus. Yeah. But he's not enough to expel him back. He doesn't have the power and the authority to say, like, okay, well, now you, you I, I don't want this anymore. You just can't do this. Right. It's like, well, sorry, buddy. Yeah. But uh, but that ship has sailed. That yeah. that that ticket is no longer. Uh, it's already been stamped. You know, this is the train we're on. And that's and that's very much. It's definitely a, a horror staple that not everyone. Not everyone's going to get out alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's the survivor girl and that sort of thing. But one of my favorite things about the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like, yeah, she survived, but I don't think she's ever going to really live. Oh my goodness, um, yeah. And so, but then it's it's not at all unusual for everyone to to die. There is an element of yeah. Who whoever said that that everything ends happily for uh, there's certainly not a history of things ending happily for everybody. That's right. one of the things that that. Uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, really responds to about uh, Game of Thrones oh, is that mm-hmm. we we watch movies, we watch TV, and we have this idea of how things should be. And that's and I, I do as well. Uh, but life very seldom conforms to that. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly there, you know, 
the Nazis were defeated. Yeah. So good for us. Good one out. Millions of people later. Oh, yeah. you know, at tremendous so, cost. Yeah. So uh, it's like, okay, so that, all right. Step one, stop the evil when it's happening. Now, step two is to prevent it from happening. Oh, shoot. That's uh, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's, it's impossible. Yeah. And so, um, and that's what I, that is what I like about Krampus is there is a cynicism there, but it's also just genuinely exploring what, what a lack of hope is. Mm-hmm. There's a cynicism to it. There's a darkness to it. There's an ugliness to it. And there's a, there's a, an inevitability to it, you know? And I think that's what it is. This idea that, like you said, Max saying, take me instead is like, all right, I will. But that's what that is. But it's, I'm going to ignore that instead because you haven't earned instead. Right. And right. your family hasn't earned instead either. Right. Like these people are who you thought they were. Mm-hmm. You've seen more of them, but they're absolutely who you thought they were. And so I'll take you along. You're not going to be the one left behind feeling terrible. So right. I guess good for you, but you're still all my prisoners. You mm-hmm. know, you're still trapped. And, you know, Christmas is, there's always redemption. There's always room for forgiveness of others, of yourself, you know, and you can make terrible mistakes over and over and over again. And it's, and the hope is never gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so along those lines, I will get us into our companion film. So yeah. there was no question for me. Mm-hmm. that the companion film was going to be a Christmas Carol. Ah, but which one? <laughs> there are, I don't know, 85 of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's fine. You know what? I'll watch every single one because I love the story so much. Oh, I love that I've story. seen it on stage a bunch of times. It's my favorite book. Yeah. It's your favorite book? Interesting. It's, yeah, it's my favorite book. And I recently, and this, is not, this doesn't need to be long, like I always used to say that Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury was my favorite book until I realized that every single year, I ingest more than a dozen versions of The Christmas Carol, whether it be through (laughs) episodes of television or movie adaptations or actually reading the book, which I do almost annually. And, uh, you know, like, like it, it has to be. I'm like, by sheer fact that I'm not tired of this story yet, like this, this is my favorite book. And you know there are good adaptations, there are bad adaptations. Actually, yeah. even the even the bad ones, I don't think are that bad. Uh, yeah. The the Jim Carrey uh, motion capture one has. Yeah. It's it's probably the most flawed. But th- you haven't seen all of them. I haven't seen all of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay, which, yeah. what am I missing? Well, there's there was a uh, one called an American Carol starring oh, with, uh, Henry Winkler. Oh, an uh, American Christmas Carol. American Christmas Carol, yeah, yeah. starring Henry Winkler and. Uh, and then uh, I did not. Uh, there's the musical one with Kelsey Grammer, not the musical one with Albert Finney. Oh, okay. Uh, and and the, the only reason I say that is because I'm like Jim Carrey is definitely not in the upper echelon. Sure, but I don't think it's bottom of the barrel either. I think it's probably somewhere about mid. Still directed by Robert Zemeckis. You know, it's still going to have yeah, a, 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 a. No, I, I mean that in a good in a good. Oh, way. oh, yeah. He yeah, still yeah. has a visual sense, and and I really got a strong sense of like, you know dark and dreary London in, in the Zemeckis version. So even it even has that, whereas yeah. these other things apparently are not, uh, I don't know. Is it in the public domain? I feel like it would have to be. Oh, it is. To, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that would explain some Unquestionably things. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and I feel very, uh, fortunate. I think maybe the first, the first version I ever saw of it was likely, a Muppet, uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Really? Hmm, interesting. I think I was aware of the, of the, well, hang on. Probably the first 
version of it, and this is and that's generous, is Scrooged. Uh, oh yeah, which yeah. is a version of it, but it's not. He's not playing Ebenezer Scrooge or anything right, like that. So right. there is that. But um, and uh, and you know what just occurred to me as I was thinking about this a few days ago is that Scrooged is like, oh, are they? Is that like a pun on screwed? But they're saying Scrooged. Mm. This is the first time it's occurred to me oh, in like 33 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so uh, so I, I've, I've seen it, and I've seen it on stage, as I said, many times. I, I don't get tired of the story. It's hard to get tired of that story. Yeah. Um, because it's just, it's so dynamic, and it's fun to see uh, that level of redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that is that is earned through seeing horrible things and, and yeah becoming very aware of how horrible uh you can be um i do love muppet christmas carol you did recently write uh, an article about it oh yeah i recently realized that uh there are a handful of things and we can go off on this tangent before we get back into things because this is listeners welcome you're welcome to 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 chime in uh in the comments um over the years there are things that i have acquired that I need to do this or see this or hear this for Christmas to really be sinking in for mm. me. Uh, one is that commercial that I've ever, that I've seen ever since I was a kid of the Hershey's kisses uh, acting as bells. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Doing, I, I, I wish you a Merry, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, one came about a few years ago. Uh, there's this church in New Zealand that had a bunch of kids act out the Christmas story and it is adorable. And I tear up every time. Um, I think I've seen I've, that video. I've posted on more than one lesson. Yeah, I think I've seen And I, I post it on Facebook all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy who uh, is known on YouTube as like putting together like medleys of songs and so, and then performing them himself. Uh, he did a, he did a medley of Christmas songs and it's a really good medley. Oh, wow. Incorporating also like he did, did a song by the Pogues and stuff like that. So wow. uh, I enjoy that. And then certain songs in general. But I don't think I realized until I started watching it or rewatching it for the umpt- you know, umpteenth, umptwentieth time <laughs> um, uh, that Muppet Christmas Carol might be the one. Mm. That might be the thing that unless I watch that, I'm not going to feel it. I started watching it while I was eating uh, lunch. I had to get back to work. I got through about, a, about 20 minutes and just the minute it happened the minute the music yeah. kicks in and the wonderful songs by Paul Williams, uh, oh. start, you know, people start singing them. It's just like, I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in for this movie. I'm in for Christmas. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, do you have, do you read, do you have any, uh, oh, and then also at this point, uh, putting up my Christmas tree and Charlie, um, my cat immediately, it's not decorated yet or anything like that. Immediately crawling under and just laying down and basically staying there the entire season. Oh. Uh, it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. That's awesome. Followers on Twitter have seen many photos of it. <laughs> um, so do you have any, uh, not even traditions, just things that you you have come to realize, I need this. Uh, yeah, for me, the first one that comes to mind is the soundtrack to A Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, that's a big one for me. Once well. I yeah. once I start hearing that music, even if, like, what's funny is the, the traditional Peanuts theme, if it's played at any other time of the year, I'm like, oh, I love Charlie Brown. But if it's played, like, October, I'm like, oh. Christmas is yeah. Christmas is on the horizon. That's yeah. the, that's so that's one that does it for me. Seeing um, a lit 
tree mm-hmm. um, will do it for me, even if it's, you know, just seeing it around in uh, in the park. And also, this is going to be somewhat odd, um, but I immediately associate the smell and the bite that the air gets to it when it gets winter, which we don't have to a great degree here yeah. in California. You know, like, you know, it's like, oh, man, we're freezing. It's 68 outside, you know, um, that, you know, but once it's going to get down to 38 uh, Christmas night. See, okay, so, so I'll take it, and that's one of the things is that when you when you feel that there's that there's a bit of a, a of that the air has teeth, that's when I begin to, yeah. I really begin to get that sense of, uh, you know, like I, I don't know this quote verbatim, but you know Chesterton, who I quote often, said basically he's like, you know, one of the main reasons that we celebrate the coming of the Savior at, at winter time is because you know we remember that we need him most when things are cold, and we need him most yeah. when things are are dying and dead and and so those things can bring back to our memory the the need for hope the need for warmth and yeah. and um and again I, I i'm not saying this to be uh you know pandering to the companion film um the thinking of the story of christmas carol hearing it in some rendition i i was privileged to see muppet christmas carol in the theater as i'm sure you probably were too yeah. but the very first well, the very first way that I heard the story was actually Mickey's Christmas Carol. Which um, I don't think I've ever seen. Oh, it's 25 minutes and it's wonderful. Okay. Seek it out. It's right. it's so wonderful. It's great. Um, and uh, so I I saw that first, but I saw, uh, I don't know, you haven't yet said which version we chose to make the companion film. Right. So I, I'm going to let you reveal it. Okay. So the, the version that, that I suggested based on you asked me a fair question. Like, let's pick the one that's closest in tone to Krampus. Yeah. And um, I was a little biased, but I still think that, that my decision is a fair one. The very first live action version of A Christmas Carol that I saw was this one. Uh, and I saw it when I was five years old. It was um, Clive Donner's uh, A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. Made 1984. 1984. I remember seeing it when I was five years old. My parents um, used to do somewhat creative things with um, VHS tapes. They made for me one time a VHS tape, six hours long, and it had all these versions of A Christmas Carol on it. Hmm. And so, like, it had Mickey's Christmas Carol on it. Randomly, it had this one short called The Small One that Don Bluth directed. Oh, okay. Um, so, but but it was randomly in there. But everything else was, like, a television episode of A Christmas Carol, The Highway to Heaven Christmas Carol episode. And, and like... <laughs> Highway to Heaven. Well, oh, yeah. I haven't so thought the, of that show, and I'm going to say... 20 to 25 years. So there it is. Uh, But but it had, at its centerpiece, this George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. I absorbed this thing. I've probably seen this movie not, uh, you know, being hyperbolic. I've probably seen this movie 30 or 40 times because I remember just watching it over and over and over again when I was a child. I was really invested in the story. This was before I was old enough to recognize that it's a very well-put-together production and that the acting Mm -hmm. is strong and that the script is very strong. Um, But... I just, I loved it. I love uh, George C. Scott's performance. He's the definitive Scrooge for me. I know a lot of people um, would either resonate with Michael Caine because they saw Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, which is fair. Uh, But for me, George C. Scott is so definitive because to me, his acting is so naturalistic. Mm -hmm. And he, he endows every line with a sense of reasoning, like in some thought processes behind it. Now, yeah. I, was this recent time when you saw it, 
your first time seeing it? Yes. Okay, so I would love to know what you thought about it. Uh, it's tough to say it's my it's it's my favorite. It is not. Um, and it's tough to arrive at George C. Scott's uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay. I'm a huge fan of George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's marvelous in The Hustler mm. and Dr. Strangelove and Patton and The Hospital. He's a, he's a wonderful actor. Mm. Um, and I think he does a very good job with this. Uh, and I think so, there's a there's a gruffness to him as an actor that I don't immediately associate with Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer mm. Scrooge always seemed like n- uh, particularly sophisticated Hmm. Um, and using that sophistication as one more way to be above other people. Hmm. Um, whereas George C. Scott, just the way he, the way he looks, the way his, the timber of his voice makes him seem a bit more working class. Um, he still lords things over other people. Don't get me wrong. And there's definitely a bite to the way he plays Ebenezer Scrooge, which I think you had mentioned to me. Uh, there's there's a there's a sarcasm there and there is as you said there's a reasoning behind mm-hmm. you know as an actor that makes a lot of sense that's very much who he was as an actor right um so as far as his performance i responded to it the way i respond in the same way i respond to everybody who's ever played Ebenezer <laughs> yeah. Scrooge. i think maybe for me the defend i wish i remembered his name but i saw it when i was like you know 12 um a stage version of a christmas carol hmm. in denver I've said this, I've said this story on Battleship Pretension. I've said it here. The actor playing Scrooge does just a, does a great job in a number of ways, but he made a choice that I think is maybe one of the best choices that that maybe the best choice I've ever seen any Scrooge make, hmm. which is he's transformed. It's Christmas morning. He hasn't missed it. He asks the kid, you know, what day is this? You know. And then the kid responds with incredulity and you see Scrooge get angry. Hmm. You see it. Mm-hmm. You see him start to just, and he stops himself hmm. and calms down and continues. It's, it's kind of amusing, but it's also like, yes, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Cause you're making a choice. Now. You're making a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not merely you wake up and you're a completely new person. You might have a different, there might be a huge paradigm shift, mm-hmm. But those old instincts aren't going to be erased. Yeah. It's now choosing not to indulge them. And that moment is to me one of the, tr- it, it brought Scrooge as a character home as mm. a real person to me. Yeah. That I, th- and just, and also just the, the level of sarcasm he had and all that. And, and the, the, the anger and frustration, the way that he, he played it. Um, I think that to me is the definitive, uh, depiction of Scrooge on stage or screen. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so much of, and so much of, uh, an adaptation of a Christmas Carol will boil down to who plays Scrooge and how. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, it hinges on that performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that like as an actor, but well, I'm not an actor anymore, but the actor instinct in me kicks up every once in a while when I see a character like that. And I just think, how would I play Scrooge? Cause every, mm-hmm. every actor playing, it must be like, well, I can't just do what everybody else has done. Right, I got to right, put my right, own right. stamp on it. Mm-hmm. And Scott certainly does that. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it is a George C. Scott performance. And I believe everything that he, I believe everything that he says and does. And particularly, uh, like when he's, 
when he's uh it's during the section with the ghost of christmas present he's watching people play christmas games and he's like really in- engaged and involved but still he's still him yeah he, it's not fun yet it's still it's an opportunity to show superiority it's like ah oh, you stupid person you, that's right. not the answer right right um so that speaks to the writing it speaks to the acting mm-hmm. um so why so I emailed you because you were you've seen more versions than I have, and I yeah. said, "What? Which one would you want to go with?" And you picked this one. Yeah. Why did you pick this one as the one that would be closest tonally to Krampus? To Krampus. Well, uh, two reasons. First of all, is because I I picked up on a tremendous amount of sarcasm in Krampus, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I think Scott brings to the role of Ebenezer Scrooge is. Um, one of the things that bothered me is most of the time, the early parts of Scrooge, he's just played as grumpy. Mm-hmm. But what's what I think is brilliant about what Scott brings to it is that Scott plays him as delighted in the things he's delighted in. Yeah. For instance, his line that is usually said with a lot of spit, mm-hmm. like most of the time when people say the line, like any idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Yes, I've seen this a lot of times. Yeah, got to memorize. So, so um, but most of the time when people say that, they say it mad. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, any idiot, blah, you know. Scott laughs. Mm-hmm. Laughs rather uproariously while he's saying it. And so while he's doing that, he finds himself funny. He's like, <laughs> this wouldn't have been great if they just all like, you know, blah. And, you know, his little asides throughout, if, if you ever entertain watching this version again, just pay, like I would encourage you to to watch for how he's um, you know he's delighted in himself. Like I love it's it's not in the book at all. But when the two people who are collecting for the poor introduce mm-hmm. themselves, yeah. you know he's there. You know like uh, you know you uh, you don't know us. He says, "Nor do I wish to." <laughs> you know, yes. and, and then uh, and then when they say their names, he's like, "Excellent." Now if you'll allow me to pass, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so and so it's like there's there's a general sarcasm to him that I also picked up tonally in Krampus. That there's mm-hmm. there there's this sort of undercurrent of. Of yeah. uh, you know, not I wouldn't necessarily say cynicism, but I would say sarcasm. There's a sting to it. Yeah, there's a sting to both. Absolutely. And then the other component is I find George C. Scott's version to be genuinely disturbing in a couple of places. Hmm. I, I find his particular the, the the rendition of the Ghost of Christmas Future in the uh, 1984 version is very creepy. Um, yeah. and and is a bit more intentionally frightening than some of the other renditions that I've seen, even though they're all creepy. It's a creepy, yeah. it's intended to be a creepy character. Um, but just in general, I felt like there's a lot of, you know, kind of frightening moments. For instance, one thing that's not usually played for frights, mm-hmm. but when he uh, dispels the ghost of Christmas past, I think is a, is a relatively disturbing moment, yeah. you know, like he begins to kind of freak out. He, um, you know, smashes the, um, the, I, I don't know what you would call it, the cone over the yeah. top of her head and like sort of dissolves her while she's echoing truth lives, truth lives. And it's kind of played as a, yeah. uh, a, a kind of a murder of sorts yeah. of him it's, doing that. Yeah. It's, it's a really great representation and, and the anger that goes with it, is, and nobody nobody plays anger like George C. Scott. <laughs> um, but uh, just the anger at being faced with his past and and mm-hmm. his and decisions that he 
had to maybe force himself to stop regretting, but not in a positive way, but more just right. just like, because if he started to regret them, then he might change his ways. Like, I, I'm not going to do that. So right. I'm going right. to extinguish. Mm-hmm. I'm literally going to, going to extinguish the past, yeah. which is what that cone thing is. It's like a candle snuffer thing. Right. So, um, so that was the, that was the thrust of why I thought that it would, it would fit very well with Krampus because a lot of the other versions, uh, tend to, to play him as grumpy and bitter, um, in the early sections and then has this, like you said, this miraculous transformation at the end. But for me, there's a consistency to Scott's character and the transformation is what he delights in, not that he is now suddenly delighted. Right. That's, yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting interpretation. And, 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 you know, when you think about it, a lot of the versions that I've seen is you see a guy who's miserable Mm -hmm. and he's, he's just deeply unhappy yeah, and he maybe wants to make everybody else unhappy. Now that's an interesting interpretation. Uh, but there's, I like the idea of a guy who does as to use your term, uh, he delights in things. Mm-hmm. He just it delights in horrible things yeah. and being horrible to people, but he's not unhappy, right? He's pretty content with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's content with a terrible life. Yeah. You know, and that in some ways could be worse. Somebody who's unhappy and just, I, you know, I do not make merry myself at Christmas and I can't afford to make other people merry. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a lot you can do with that line. And, yeah. and usually it's, I don't make merry myself at Christmas or really any other time. I'm bitter and angry. And if only something would come along to remind me that life is good as opposed to it's, it's almost that idea, that biblical idea of like, it's easier for a, a, a camel to go through the eye mm. of a needle than for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven. Yeah. Uh, because a rich man is self-sufficient and content with his life. Mm-hmm. He's not going to see the need. He's not going to see what is lacking. Whereas a truly miserable interpretation of Scrooge, it, you could appeal to, well, aren't you unhappy? Like, don't you, th- don't you see that there's something lacking in your life? Yeah. But with George C. Scott, he genuinely is happy with the life he has yeah. chosen. Yeah. And you plays know? it that way, yeah. which as I said, you know, is something that I can't, I can't recall even as brilliant as I think Michael Caine is. I can't recall a single other performance of Scrooge where I've seen somebody do that, yeah. where the character is consistent and the transformation is about, you know, what he's focusing on or what, you know, now what the, the, the revelation of his present situation. And I think too, that the, um, as there's a moment in the, um, the, the ghost of Christmas present scene where the Cratchit family says their grace Mm -hmm. and then they say, amen. And then Scrooge under his breath says, amen. Yeah. And the ghost of Christmas present turns him, well, what'd you, what'd you say? You know, Oh no, no, I I just thought you said, you know, and he's like, no, I said nothing. I said nothing, (laughs) you know? And, uh, it's just, there's a lot of little touches to, but I, I don't think it's all a function of George C. Scott. I think that, that script is one of the strongest adaptation scripts that I've ever seen for a Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. They, he hits all the big lines, but he also throws some flourishes in there that I think synchronize the tone perfectly um but no i i think that that version is effective it's it's a terribly effective version if you've never seen this version i think it's readily available in free streaming services i saw it on youtube yeah see so in its entirety yeah um yeah and i will mention really quick uh, the supporting cast is also really good you've got david warner you've got Mm -hmm. roger reese you've got Susanna york and 
as the ghost of Christmas present, an actor whose name I love to say, Edward Woodward. <laughs> Why not just go by Ed at that point? I recognize that you're all proper and British and stuff, but uh, Edward Woodward, that's too many D's, too many W's. Yeah. I don't like it. Even DW, you like to say it all these times over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great actor, though, and I do like Yeah, he's wonderful. It's so interesting. Um, I, when I think of the ghost of Christmas past, I do tend to think of the one from up a Christmas Carol, which is yeah. pure joy. Oh yeah. You've uh, present ghost. Present, of Christmas, pardon, yeah. pardon me. But yeah, yeah no, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pure joy. And it, 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 it seems that that's, that's just that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Yes. He is very happy, mm-hmm. but he is also very caustic. Yeah. And, uh, Edward Woodward definitely captures that mm-hmm. captures a fair amount of judgment. Yeah. Um, but it's the judgment that just stems from Scrooge. He's just giving it right back to him. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, and doesn't take any real glee in it. It's like, almost like, I wish I could say be act differently towards you, but yeah. I cannot. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, and then one thing I wanted to mention just, uh, is the, uh, in both A Christmas Carol, every interpretation, and Krampus, there is the uh, the idea of chains. Yeah. Um, and the idea of, in in A Christmas Carol, it's, these are the chains you are forging by living a very specific type of life. Right. And you will be bound by them. Whereas in Krampus, he uses the chain to bind you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one particularly interesting moment, uses the chain to go fishing, uh, oh, which yeah, which is disturbing, but Whew. I thought it was very effective. Yeah. So, uh, so okay, we've gone into a Christmas Carol, and one th- and everybody knows the story. Everybody oh, yeah. knows the the you know the reaction um, of Ebenezer Scrooge to seeing it. This the the. The various things that he sees is interesting that he does see his past. He sees not necessarily his present, but other people's presence and then the future as well. And the idea that all three have a part to play in who you're going to be now, Mm, um, recognizing the mistakes that you've made, recognizing when people have wronged you Mm. or when, when people have shown you kindness, you know, you see Scrooge's father as opposed to Fezziwig, right? You know, and and so the recognizing uh, it provides pers- perspective looking at the past mm-hmm. and then also thinking towards the future and thinking not merely how would i like to be known but what effect do i want to try to have had on the world mm. and so that can give you also a certain degree of humility and give you goals and and a drive towards something, but then also the appreciation of the present. And well, I'm here right now. I can make a difference right now. Yeah. Right now, the Cratchit family is eating a goose that's way too small. Mm-hmm. I can make it. I there. It's too late to make a difference yesterday. There is a, there's definitely tomorrow, but I don't have to wait till tomorrow. Right yeah. now is when Do I can right make now. a difference. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I always thought that was such an interesting way to approach um, this story, mm-hmm. you know, anybody could have, I feel like a lesser writer than Charles Dickens. Um, <laughs> it's weird to be talking. About. Yeah. We all know he's good. Tyler. Thanks. Um, <laughs> could have just focused on like the, the future thing. Yeah. Um, and I always like that the ghost of Christmas future is scary that yeah. because it's the unknown. Um, 
but uh but anyway and unspeaking like yeah and and that's a dickens choice obviously but like you know says nothing like the future does not speak to us the past and the present are speaking to us constantly Mm -hmm. um past with you know all of the the barrage of where we've been and the present with like you know our own attitudes and stuff but the future says nothing like it's just a projection and that's a yeah honestly uh, i the christmas carol structurally is a genius work like Mm -hmm. it i mean uh, look at the simple amount of times it's been adapted like structurally and thematically it is a work of genius um even if it wasn't charles dickens who obviously had a lot of frame quick note side note the actor who plays the ghost of christmas yet to come in the 1984 christmas carol his name is michael carter he was in the aforementioned return of the jedi Oh, this character's name was Bib Fortuna. Really? He was Jabba the Hutt's tentacle-headed uh, right-hand oh, man. Oh, that weird-looking guy. I think yeah. that was one of the first toys that I had. I remember, yeah, I had from, that toy. Uh, that was one of the first Star Wars toys that I had. That's interesting. That's the Ghost of Christmas Future. Wow. Yeah. I will never think of that in the same way now. Yeah, just under that hood. No wonder where's I'll that imagine, hood. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll imagine <laughs> that now. Uh, so, yeah, um... So one thing that I really enjoyed, uh, and this is a line, and I've heard various versions of this line um, in this in this Christmas Carol. Scrooge says, "What have I done to be abandoned like this?" Mm-hmm. And you know that's kind of similar to uh, Max, uh, and initially he's going to be left all alone. Krampus is not going to take him. He's not going to kill him. He's just going to leave him with no family. He's going to be abandoned. Just basically left with the consequences of his choices and his philosophies and that sort of thing. Um, And so it's not merely what did I do to to deserve this, which is also loaded with meaning, but what have I done to be abandoned like this? Like that's a very, just solitary and loneliness solitary is an oyster one could say um uh, is something that i find very interesting and that that might be the most hellish thing out there is no connection to other people yeah um so uh so as we all know when max wakes up from his dream from what he thinks is a dream uh it's he's optimistic he's excited only to find nope the nightmare is continuing. Yeah. Scrooge wakes up from his dream and it's real life and it's not over. They yeah. did it all in one night. Yeah. And just, and he's got the, the rest of his life ahead of him to change himself and the, the situation of the people around him. And one thing that I really love in this version from a writing standpoint is when he goes to Fred his uh, oh, nephew, yeah. which and is what, not in the book at all. Yeah, it's and it's, brilliant. it's great. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Fred's wife, mm-hmm. and he just says, "You know." And I wish I'd written it down, but I didn't. Uh, I probably know it. Okay, well, uh, hit me with it. Okay, so he he says, um, "I it, you'll forgive me for s- his line to him." He says, "You'll forgive me for saying this, but I see the shadow of your mother in you." And he said, "You know, I loved your mother, and sometimes I'd forgotten how much." I loved her. Yeah. Maybe I chose to forget. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, that was a, 
a tremendous moment of reconciliation for him because yeah. his nephew loves him clearly. I mean, in yeah. the book, he loves him in this, mo- in this movie version, he loves him. He has no quarrel with him. He just wants him to come to dinner. And in that same scene, I don't know if this is a quote you're referencing, but in that same scene, uh, when she says you've made us, uh, when his nephew's wife says you've made us very happy, Scott has a reaction of puzzlement. Yeah, that's like, new. No, one's yeah, ever he's said like, it to him. nobody has ever said this to <laughs> yeah. me before. You know, you've made me very happy. And then he says, you know, he says he claps them in his arms and he says, "God forgive me for the time I've wasted." Yeah. And this is it's beautiful. This is a beautiful moment. I love all of that. Oddly enough, the part that I was thinking was oh. when he's talking about the love that his nephew has for his wife and he says you know i something like i loved somebody once yeah uh but i possessed neither the courage nor the optimism perhaps the depth of feeling that you two have yeah and there's just there's something so insightful about to to love somebody to not be solitary Mm -hmm. takes courage yeah and optimism and optimism is scary Mm -hmm. you know uh and when encourage and optimism and depth of feeling put those together there is a word for that and it is in fact hope mm-hmm. um and christmas is indeed it is the season of hope it is the season when we where we are given hope we do not have to be defined by what we've done in the past we don't have to de- we don't even really have to be defined by the mistakes we'll make in the future right or the ones we're doing right now um there is for, there is forgiveness. The sacrifice has already been made. And yes, we should still sacrifice ourselves for other people where we can. Uh, but the sacrifice uh, for, on a, in a cosmic sense, in a mm-hmm. spiritual sense, has already been made. So we don't have to worry about that. And in the meantime, we are free to make mistakes as we are trying to extend the love and grace that was extended to us to other people, just as, just yeah. as Scrooge is doing. And that's something that, uh, cause, cause it kind of feels like we're winding down. That's something that we, we haven't talked about him yet, but probably one of the five most compelling characters in all of literature anywhere to me is Jacob Marley mm. because Jacob Marley, you know, he says, cause Scrooge asks him, is there anything I can do for you? And Marley says, for me, no, it's too late. Yeah. You know, but he said, I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. And I think about Krampus and how, you know, the, the, you know, the whole family sort of finds themselves in this little too late snow globe. But, um, I mean, Marley's entire, uh, situation is I'm, I'm stuck here. This is it. I am destined now to, to walk abroad and witness what I cannot share, but might have shared. And it's, it's such a profound thought that there is this, you know, longing that does not die when, when we do, Mm -hmm. um, and that we will have either been, you know, a participant in satisfying that longing in others and for ourselves, or we'll have just been trying to, you know, compartmentalize and maintain everything for ourselves. What's beautiful about, uh, you know, among a thousand other things is, you know, Marley's a compelling character for him. It's too late, but Scrooge in the twilight of his life would, would have likely died that night or the next year. Eminently yeah. he would have died, but it's not too late for him. Yeah. As long as he's got breath in his lungs and his heart is still beating. It is not too late for him to change. And one of the things I find the most beautiful about the story entirely is that it, it is not, 
it's not an expiration date that redemption does not have an expiration date yeah you know unless you reach that point to where you really have just lost the the desire yeah. or the will to to be redeemed to be rescued yeah so anyway and and it is that i i like the idea that Scrooge could die in a year or two years. He could die the day after Christmas. Well, I guess, no, the day after Christmas, he does come in. But he could die on the 27th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one could say, yeah, but that's only two days worth of, like, being good to people. And it's like, yeah, yeah but it's two days that wouldn't have happened before. Mm-hmm. And in that two days, he does a, quite a bit for people. Yeah. And, in some, and I do love the idea, and this is something that is not in Muppet Christmas Carol, um, the idea that he sends the 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 Christmas turkey oh, to the Cratchits and does not take credit for it no. immediately. Yeah. You know, he just, this is not about me. This is about them and their family getting what they need. Yeah. And uh, sure, I'll reveal, I'll reveal myself another time. But right now, this is what it's about. It's, yeah. And that's, and I can't think of anything more self-sacrificing than when you're doing something great for somebody and you're not even going to take the credit for it, yeah. at least, you know, in that moment. He and whispers the amount that he gives to the poor. Yeah. Whisper, we don't know, you know, like yeah. he whispers it, it flabbergasts them, but he whispers it, you know, yeah. so now he's not about this whole power hungry struggle anymore. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's such, it's such an optimistic film for an optimistic time of year. And yes, we will wrap up, um, you know, and it's so easy to be cynical about Christmas I often am. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up, uh, wrapped up like wrapping <laughs> presents um, in, in even the good things of Christmas. I love buying presents for people. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and I, I love receiving them, but what's interesting is I really love giving as I've gotten older. I like giving more than receiving in this yeah. case. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I still, you know, love getting Riddlers and Blu-rays and stuff, but, <laughs> but there's just something about, you know, watching somebody's face light up when you've gotten them something that they, they, they weren't expecting or that right, they, you right, know, right, one right. way or another. And, uh, but even that you can get wrapped up in. And so it's, I, I, it's, I, it's frustrating to me that we do a whole month for Halloween. <laughs> oh, uh, and we do. And we, there's not even necessarily a guaranteed Christmas episode every yeah, year. Right, right, um, right. But there should be, uh, and maybe, maybe I'll try to do that in, uh, for next year and, and subsequent years after that. Um, but it's just, it's, it's nice to be reminded, uh, by looking at Krampus, looking at a Christmas Carol, both have these, you know, uh, spiritual qualities to them. And one is hopelessness and the hopelessness that comes with no grace, no forgiveness and just being stuck with the, the things you've done yeah, and just how horrifying and just ugly that looks, you know, as opposed to a Christmas Carol with the idea of it's not too late. You can always, you can change as a person, but as you said, like, what does that change look like? Well, we haven't, we have the perfect image of Jesus, you know, coming in the Christmas, you know, in the Christmas season, um, precisely so that he can help other people sacrifice him, you know, make the ultimate sacrifice that he does not, deserve so that we have the freedom you know we don't have to if i may get a little bit poetic here we don't have to worry about the chains those chains are over those chains are Mm -hmm. are done um 
and not necess- not even necessarily because we did anything to take care of them. Right. You know, that's the that's the difference between a Christmas Carol and actual Christmas is that Scrooge, in order to break these chains, he needs to change as a person. Now, obviously, yeah. we we should change as people, um, but it's still earned by him. Yeah. We all we have to do is say, "I surrender." Mm-hmm. There's only so much I can do. Please forgive me for what I've done. I accept you and your and the sacrifice that you've that you've paid, um, and then you can move on. And then it's it's done. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, uh, listeners, that provides you with some level of hope. Uh, if you have, if you're already a Christian, then uh, maybe this will remind you of that. Uh, and if you're not a Christian and that and, and these ideas intrigue you, feel free to email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. And uh, we can have a conversation about that. So uh, one thing I will say, I would love to see an adaptation of A Christmas Carol directed by Michael Doherty, uh, oh. the director of Krampus. Yeah. I feel like that would be really interesting. That'd be fascinating. Yeah, so, I would Yeah, I would love to see that as well. Um, but we will leave it there. Um, the next, so next week will be, that's right, we'll be going back to the best pictures and uh, Josh and I will be talking about The Godfather, Best Picture of 1972. Oh, I've heard so of you that. Can, it's all right. Yeah. It has its moments. You know, it's a little too violent for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, not enough ghosts, you know? Like, why can't it be more like A Christmas Carol? I know. Um, the original Nightmare Before Christmas, as I like to call it. Oh, indeed. Yes. Oh, I didn't even. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. You're, see, this is why you're a writer. <laughs> so, uh, read lackey.com. Uh, but yeah, so you can, uh, like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. Um, and in the meantime, uh, read, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, everybody. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.